Welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Rothersby, an experienced business consultant in the medical sphere, as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this exciting medical world. Welcome to the Dr. Diaries podcast. Today, we've got the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Paul Hociancic. Paul is a highly respected oral and maxiofacial surgeon, and his surgical procedures bypass traditional options to potentially fix symptoms of jaw issues for good. Paul obtained his primary dental degree at Sydney University, and he also acquired a primary medical and surgical degrees in the University of Otago in New Zealand. Following advanced surgical training in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore and UK, he obtained his master's degree as well as two specialty fellowships in maxiofacial surgery. Paul is also the owner and director of Profilo Medical Practice here in Sydney and Newcastle, Australia. Welcome, Paul. <laughs> Hello. It's a very there's that's you in a nutshell, I hope. <laughs> that's that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've got a few other degrees. I I um had a, a lass that said how many degrees have you got? And uh, I started I said I, I don't know. I started counting them and uh, I I got up to I put six on my uh, on my business card, but I've actually got more. And uh, I stopped at 10, I think. What were the others? I'm fascinated. Well, I, I used to be a Navy officer as well. And when, oh. when, you, when you go through officer training school, um, oh. which is a course, you know, it takes, it takes a year, um, they give you a, a degree. Uh, so that's one. Uh, I used to be a helicopter pilot. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and so that's another degree. Uh, I did a degree in aerospace medicine, uh, so that's a degree. <laughs> and wow. The thing is, I yeah, they're, they're just sheets of paper that you uh, acquire over the years. Well, um, tell me, I'm fascinated how this journey began and how you went through it. So tell me about that, your journey into medicine and all these amazing things you've done. Amazing things? No, they're not amazing. They're, they're just passages of life, they're chapters. And uh, so when I was a kid, people would say, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I'd say, I I don't know. They'd go, well, you know, we'll give you a few suggestions. You know, would you like to be a fireman or a policeman or a teacher? And I go, oh, you know, it doesn't really sound too appealing, any of those things, but they're probably fascinating by themselves. So so the the question was, um, if I'm a fireman, is that it? Do I, do I get to do anything else or is that it? And um, and the surprising answer that I received back was yes, that's it. All right. So I, I decided maybe I was only three or four, maybe five. I said, well, I'm going to pick all of them. Lovely. I'm just going to do every single one of them. And in fact, a part of Navy training is to be a, a five fires on ships and stuff like that. So I've certainly done that. Enclosed spaces, put on the fire gear, and you know, shoot the water. 
uh, will be underwater and you know get get your welding kit out and patch that torpedo hole. Uh, but what you really want to do is if you if you're young enough to you know have the insight is to pick the job that gets you to do everything. And the one I picked was surgeon. <laughs> By the sounds of it. Um... Yes, the surgeries allowed you to do many, many things. So yeah. tell me about that. So you, you actually started in dentistry, you were saying, and then moved across to OMF? Yeah, well, I was only 16 when I started. Oh. Uh, so that, that was at the University of Sydney. So when you graduate at 21 or 22 and you, you, you try to get everybody to call you doctor, people just laugh. Yeah. I mean, I just barely exited puberty. <laughs> it was a bit of but, a doogie houser, a bit of yeah, a doogie houser. Yeah, a bit of a doogie houser. So now it's very, very hard to get into medicine. Um, but back then it was just really about who you knew and what you knew and your affability and your age. And so I just had a, you know, my bloke who was become my mentor said, you don't know me from a bar of soap. You're a bit too young to be a dentist. Um, no one's going to give you a job. Would you like to go back to university and do uh, medicine? And, and and if you've done both, uh, I'd like to train you up and uh, show you everything to do with facial surgery. Mm. And that's like, yeah, sure. What what what's that? You know, yeah. and and that's a story of my life. Is just I just sat beside a telephone and answered it and said yes to everything. Yeah, that's an interesting way to do that. There was a Jim Carrey movie about that. Absolutely, <laughs> and it works. It works. Never say no. I agree. Look, I, I, I got to say I've got much the same philosophy is say yes and then work out how it's all going to be done a little bit later. But it does open a lot of doors. So you went right. into facial surgery um, and then I suppose fast-forwarding, you have opened a practice and specialised in a particular types of surgeries. Well, it, it, like we, again, the story continues of this, yes, I will do it. Yeah. Um, w when I graduated um, as a facial surgeon, I'm a facial trauma surgeon. I'm, I'm literally, uh, I can go to war because I'm in the Navy too. And uh, uh, going into private practice, uh, all the people referring to me, just sending me, can you please remove this person's wisdom tooth? And, and it's like being asked to, cut nails mm. <laughs> you're a you're an orthopedic surgeon can you cut this toenail can you cut yeah. this toenail it was a bit it was a bit below my pay grade yeah. uh, so uh, we had a kid that came in and he said um uh, i've been asked if you can remove my teeth because i've got the, this horrible bite and uh, i said well you know i don't really think that's a good idea and he said i don't think it's a good idea either because i really think uh, that i need a bigger jaw and I said, yeah. He said, do you know how to do that? I said, in 12-year-olds, it's a, yeah, no one's done that. Mm. He said, where, in Australia, Newcastle? I said, no, no, that's a worldwide thing. No one's ever done that. He said, well, I've looked at your uh, your CV. I said, really? He said, yeah, yeah, I, I think you can. I think you can figure it out. I said, you're, you're 12. <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, but, mate, if you don't fix this, I don't want to live. Oh. Yeah, got to do it. Yeah, and I'm only coming to you. And he turned to his mum and dad and said, "Shut up, <laughs> I'm talking. Yeah. Uh, you're going to fix me." And uh, and and that led to IMTO. 
And uh, so I invented an entire operation for this 12-year-old kid. Wow. And it turned out there were lots of other kids behind him that had the same condition. Small jaws, they snored, they had crowded teeth, bad bites, blah, blah, blah. And we invented this very particular, very simple operation that just fixed it. And, uh, and that led to a whole bunch of other things like, again, just say yes to everything. Uh, so we had factories, we had companies, uh, countries, governments uh, that literally say, oh, hi, uh, can we do this for you? And I go, yes, please. <laughs> Never said no. And, uh, and it just went on and on. So we got a, a number of other operations and they all apply to the facial correction of facial disproportion, surgical correction of and uh, and that's the outer surface, you know, the face. Yeah. And just inside the face, behind the lips, you got the teeth, so we're fixing the bite. But right on the inside, there's another surface called the airway. Mm. And so we fix the face and the bite, and yeah, this airway. And then, um, and I, I I didn't know that this condition of obstructive sleep apnea existed. Uh, it it's now the disease of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and by happen chance, we we <laughs> developed all these operations to fix it, and uh, that's the majority of my patients now. So so we got two types of patients. We got the younger uh, patients who've got the small jaws, and you know, and and everyone thinks it's an orthodontic issue, but it's not. And uh, we've got the older patients who have had orthodontics because they thought it was an orthodontic problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, they still got small jaws, and they snore, and they're on CPAP machines, and they say, "If you can fix me, I'm going to give you my house." And I go, "Well, I don't need your house, but, but you know, just say thank you, and I'm, yeah. I'm happy with that." Um, and right, uh, so, it's, so, so we've got that that, that double range: uh, the, the younger patient, and the older patient, but well, same thing. That's amazing. So, Paul, when you say. Um me being a lay person, not medical, so I'm going to come from the perspective of every person going, wow. Um, yeah. When you say you you do the corrective jaw surgery, that's working on the lower jaw. Mm-hmm. And what what is actually involved in that in creating? Well, it's not just the lower jaw. The lower jaw is the primary problem. Yeah. Um, but it's like a black hole. Everything around it sort of swirls in towards it. And that includes the upper jaw, the cheekbones as well, even the eye sockets. They 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 all tend to get warped and distorted, just like space time, yeah. um, around this this centrality of abnormality, oh. um, being being the small lower jaw. So you're right. We have to correct the small lower jaw, and by doing that, we pull a tongue forward and outwards, and we're stretching an inner airway that then stops or resists collapse at night, particularly at night when you're asleep. And, uh, and, and a CPAP machine is where a doctor comes along and says, oh, you know, your airway's collapsing every night, so we're just going to get a bicycle pump, <laughs> just in, out, in, out, 14 times a minute, just to keep that pipe open so you can breathe and not suffocate or snore. Now, we're doing the same thing, except we're doing it permanently, and and fundamentally, we're fixing a small jaw to make it a normal size, stretching that tongue out, making that incolla- that collapsing airway incollapsible. But the problem is, is that we get to see the other bits of the universe 
like the upper jaw, like the cheekbones, those other structures that have distorted themselves because of the original small jaw. And now we also have to fix those, either at the same time or in a staged way. Um, so when the people come to us, we say, well, look, this is a problem and these are going to be the steps that we're going to fix it. And ultimately, they all look like Angelina Jolie or George Clooney at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, any particular reason because they've got good jawlines. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, you know, you look, I mean, I, even George Clooney has, a, but bizarrely, he actually has a, 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 a bit of a small jaw. Um, and you can sort of tell that because he's got the dark circles under his eyes and he'd be snoring and you know, have sinus disease and things like that. Um, but but we use those analogies of, um, of of Hollywood stars because mostly people know their names and they know what they look like and we we, we can talk to them as themes you know, and everybody can relate to it. Um, Angelina Jolie, beautiful woman, she's perfectly healthy and she's just got magnificent facial proportionality. But if you were to break it down, you'd also see little abnormalities here or there and um, and certainly as a, as an adolescent, she, she probably did have a discrete number of surgery procedures to sort of augment this or that. And of course, you've got the actress at the end of it, you know, and everyone's wondering, wow, mm. how'd you get that kind of face? It's so unusual. Oh, yes. but well, um, I know about all about that because I work with many, many plastic surgeons as, <laughs> as right, well. So right. That whole area of facial uh, surgery is fascinating. And the fact that we're talking about this particular type, um, to be honest, I haven't heard that much about it. Um, Post-op, what's the recovery like for the patient? Is it long? No, no. Well, it can be, I suppose, if you do it badly, oh. um, like anything. Um, but no, no, the, the, the whole thing is designed to, you know, get in, get out, really? recover. We put, you know, they stay up in a hotel room for, you know, a few nights afterwards before they go back home to their wives and husbands and um, and they come home and literally people say, you look different, but you don't look badly different. You just look yeah. good different. There's none of the negativity of massive facial swelling that yeah. people might imagine or even discover on YouTube. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, those dramatic photos people look for. They, they don't look for the non-dramatic ones. So yeah. you won't see my patients up there going, look at my face, it's like a walnut. Um, uh, if, if they did look like a walnut, you know, it's, it's only in the hours or days immediately following surgery and they're still in hospital type thing. But um, uh, the recovery normally is around two weeks, I think. Um, it's, it, it, we, we say it's about two weeks out of your life where you're, you know, being normal and just being sensible and just taking your medications and just watching TV and playing the PlayStation. But it, it, you wouldn't really know that somebody's had what we've done. Yeah. Jeez, that's fascinating. And now, because you were saying this is probably a procedure that you wasn't really being done before, do you find it's a more common procedure now that you've started doing it? Well, yeah, so all, all the people that started sending me wisdom teeth for um, because they're impacted or they're, they're, you know, they're, they're crowded out of the small jaw, um, it's, it's a little bit hard to, to offer a practice where you're removing teeth and at the same time on the other half of the practice is that you're making the jaws bigger. 
Um, so the, the orthodontists and you know the various people who dentists usually that would say you know you, you have to remove these teeth so I can put braces on. Well, they stopped referring. Well, because because <laughs> were- I was doing the opposite. So I was, mm. I was actually trying to help avoid the orthodontics and help avoid them losing teeth. Um, so uh, it, it was it was an interesting dynamic. Um, we, we did try very very hard to try to convince uh, um, you know that that professional group to maybe consider that removing teeth was something that belonged better to the nineteenth or twentieth century in terms of a philosophy, much like bloodletting or leeching or something like that from the seventeenth or eighteenth century. That having having body parts is necessary for su- survival. Yeah. Um, you know that you don't need to remove your tonsils. You, you're better off to um, to increase the space in which the tonsils could survive, or the adenoids, or, um, or, or or the teeth. So stop stop blaming. You know your anatomy. Stop blaming evolution uh, for for somehow making these body parts redundant. Um, start looking at the at the room and saying, well, it's not that you have too much furniture. It's about the room being too small. Yeah. Uh, it's about making the room bigger and trying to keep all your anatomical furniture, all all the fingers on your on your hands, all the toes on yeah. your feet. It makes sense, actually, absolutely. And you're looking, you're working on it structurally, I suppose, which could be perceived as just as invasive as ripping teeth out. You know what I mean? That if you're going to go to that, you know, it's, it's just a different way of thinking. It's really fascinating. It's funny. It's funny. It's like it's almost an idiom, uh, ripping out your teeth. It's it's the that word ripping and teeth. You know, you 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 collect them, put them together, or break your jaws, or whatever. Um, the, the frightening analogies, if people think about them, it, oh. it's way up there with don't eat and go swimming, otherwise you're going to die of cramping. Is it real? Yeah. Or is it, is it a myth? Is it an idiom? Is it a, um, uh, 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 you know, crocodiles in the sewer type of scenario? And the reality is um, uh, if you have impacted teeth, you have to have them removed. But if you can prevent them becoming impacted, yeah by something which is still an operation. So you're replacing one operation with another. You're replacing an operation that's going to prevent sleep apnea or, or prevent your wisdom teeth impacting or prevent you being teased at school because you've got a small little chin mm. um, with other operations like having your tonsils removed, having your wisdom teeth ripped out, having yeah. your, your jaw broken, whatever. Um, so you can't escape surgery at all. No. Yeah, surgeons are with form. us. It's a different form of surgery, absolutely. Yeah, it's, a di- it's a different form of surgery, yeah, and it's right. it's a it's a politer form of yeah. surgery. It's it's a gentler form of surgery. It's a it's a surgery that gives you tissue, doesn't take tissue away. It's very interesting. It's very very good. I like the the sound of that. So, so you know, this <laughs> is completely new. I suppose it makes sense. Um, but what's what's been your biggest challenge in getting people to understand? Um, well, I, I, it, it's it's odd, isn't it? Because you you think you know it's a, your face; it's the only thing you don't cover up with clothing. You know, we've got we've got garments for everything but your face, uh, yeah. unless you live in Saudi Arabia. Um, we've got sunglasses that cover the eyes, maybe, but but the face itself um, is the thing that you display. Yeah, it's it's your it's your um, it's your 
I suppose, that natural dress. Yeah. Right? But being so in your face, the face, it's the one body part we know the least about, or it's the one that we have the most prejudice against. So when we operate on a face, it's always considered to be cosmetic or due to vanity or due to, you know, your um, morbid self-absorption. Uh, you know, it, we, we don't look at the face as being an anatomical part of us. We look at it as a personality and an identity and a, a character and emotions and, and things like this. We don't see it as... Well, you know, you've got sinusitis, you've got bad teeth, you, you can't breathe, you, you've got a blocked nose, you, you're blind in one eye, <laughs> you're deaf in another. It's, it, they're literally functional parts of us. Mm. And it's the most intense concentration of all the senses. You've got taste and hearing and sight and, 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 and expression. You've got the expression of your inner self, you know, through emotion and language. Um, all of it just in this face. And, and here I am saying I'm a facial specialist. Um, I'm, I'm not a specialist because I'm not interested in the rest of the body. I'm a specialist in the face because it's so bloody fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, it is just so fascinating. And here I am very privileged with, you know, 12-year-olds that say, I think you're smart enough to figure this out, fix oh, me. Uh, you know, to, to the older bloke who says, I just want to stop snoring. Yeah. Uh, or the the, 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 the the woman that says, I just, I just want to be me, I want to be beautiful, I want to be attractive, I want the face that I know is me that's lurking in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- what a wonderful time to be alive with all these technology in um, to revolutionise how we both see the face and, and, and treat it. Yeah, it, it, is, it is fascinating. Um, I, I suppose that... Um, what I'm also interested in hearing is uh, about... I flummoxed you, you see. I flummoxed you. No, I, it is. I, I, <laughs> my brain is swirling. I think I'm. what's going around in my brain is the acceptance of uh, <laughs> surgery, like the acceptance of extraction or impact, in removing of impacted things and things like that. But the thought of surgery to correct that in a, in a different way your first reaction is, oh, oh, hang on a second. And then you go, well, hang on a second. It is actually probably a more gentler or kinder way to deal with 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 the that sort of problem. I do know my son, um, I, I did come across something that you do, and I don't know if this is kosher, what happened to my son's friend. My son's a goalkeeper and right. he was playing against his friend and he went up to save the ball and as he punched out the ball, he punched his friend's... <laughs> <laughs> knocked him out, then my son got knocked out. Anyway, we're both in emergency, all the parents <laughs> around, and it was in the spirit of the game. But uh, yeah. my son's friend um, ended up having surgery, mm. and during the surgery, the mum was telling me that um, the surgeon said, oh, and while I was there, I fixed your crossbite. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> which we, actually, call, we call that value-adding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and which actually made me even back then think this is brilliant, you know. Mm. Um, which, you know, I know that my son wore a plate for many years to fix this crossbite. Now that the thought that surgery could be a, a yeah. quick and easier option, it's it, it literally takes it takes me, I don't know, four seconds to fix um, that crossbite if I'm doing something else. You know, yeah. meaning it's four seconds added to whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Um, 
And so uh, uh, when you compare that to, you know, often tragic years of adolescence that are wasted and obsessed upon uh, to fix it, you think, really? Four seconds? Is that it? Yeah. 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 Four seconds. (laughs) Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, Paul, um, you sort of mentioned earlier and you just said, oh, well, they're just pieces of paper, but the Navy, helicopter pilot, you said right. something about donning a suit and going down and welding a torpedo hole. Tell me about that chapter of your life, that experience. <laughs> How did you end up here and what's going on? Uh, you know, like uh, I I just had the greatest adventure. I, you only look backwards and you think, wow, I really did stuff. Um, but at the time it wasn't recognised that way because life goes, you know, day by day. Yeah. Um, you, you're not really any plan to it. Um, it's it's random who rings, and even if you're there in the room to answer the telephone. Um, so uh, looking back, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've been somewhat on a journey, uh, a journey that was created for me and uh, and and designed and mastered. And uh, one day I wake up on the kitchen floor with my mum. Uh, hovering above me, washing the dishes, and uh, and, and that, that's my earliest memory. Um, but from that point, um, I lived that designed pathway. Uh, so it included uh, stints in several countries. Um, uh, so uh, dentistry I, I did in here in in Sydney. So um, uh, uh, I, I told you before that I'm Italian. And yes. uh, I speak Italian, I speak Italian, I speak Italian, I speak Italian, I Italian, and in Italy I'm Italian as well. Everyone yeah. thinks I'm Italian. Really? I'm they, yeah, they don't think you're... So where from in Italy? Well, well, but this is the paradox. The name is Italian. My family have been here in Australia since 1823. So it's 2023. We've been here for 200 years. <laughs> So, so one of one of one of the things that I did uh, when I was when I was young uh, was I I thought well if everyone thinks I'm Italian I'm going to learn it so I did and and so I I went to Italy when I was sixteen or so and I learned Italian it took me, took me about two weeks it, it was it's very easy language and uh, and I've spoken it ever since so so that was the first thing that I did which is uh, speak that and so. After that, I'd come back home and we'd be, I'd be you know, I guess, skiing at Kosciuszko or something and be two attractive girls on the chairlift with me and they'd say, where are you from? i go, I am from Italy. I do not speak, I do not speak English. <laughs> and that was, that's another way to just say yes to everything. <laughs> it's really popular with an accent. Um, so I did that. So, um, so. We've, my family have lived in Australia for 200 years, um, oh, as of this year. So I was born in Surrey Hills. My practice is in Surrey Hills. I went to school in Surrey Hills. We, we actually landed and, uh, in Circular Quay and we got put up in um, Hyde Park Barracks and moved to Surrey Hills. Oh. <laughs> so we've been there for 200 years. Wow, uh, what a beautiful part of Sydney to be in. It's a great city. place, right? We, we wow. all build it. Uh, that, that's, that's our place. Yeah. Uh, and we built um, Mort's Dock at Balmain. Um, we built, we actually started the butter industry as well. 
uh, here in Australia. Uh, well, you know, we brought in the 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 the, uh, the, the bulls um, to, oh, to start the herds and uh, in yeah. Kiama, and so we were, we were the earlier settlers there too. Um, and yeah. in fact, in fact, the, the house is long since gone, but the street that it sat upon uh, is now uh, it's still named after the houses uh, Riverside and. Um, and of course, Kayama is just such a beautiful town now. It's just, just fantastic. But but when we settled that place, um, it was just one house, ours. <laughs> so so I'm as Australian as Australian can be. I just pretend to be Italian. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you're taking the best bits from each culture. And uh... absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I'm, I'm Scottish as well, and people say I look a bit like. Um, Oh, it's his name, um, that James Bond, uh, I forget his name. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Sean Connery. Sure, you do, actually. <laughs> I do, yeah. Oh, you look like Sean Connery. Yeah, you just need well, to. Yeah, because we're Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do, now that you say that. That's now great. you do, yeah. yeah just, <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so having done dentistry, um, you know, in Chalmers Street in Surrey Hills, uh, then I thought, well, you know, I've got to, I've got to get out of Surrey Hills. <laughs> uh, so, so my next degree, which was uh, medicine, I did in New Zealand, and uh, and then after New Zealand, I, I th- well, my mother was a, an Australian Army officer, so she was in in Malaya, and I I was just fa- fascinated with the Malay Peninsula, and Malay culture, and the Chinese Straits Chinese culture uh, from that because my mum used to you know, cook up. Uh, Back, back in the seventies, um, where everything was, you know, steak and three vegetables, but if you wanted to call it Chinese, you just added uh, soy sauce. Uh, but mum, my mum, she used to cook the proper Malaysian dishes and the laksa mm. and and uh, Hokkien noodles or whatever. And, and and everyone thought she was a bit odd for that, but she she was quite worldly herself you know, with with the time with the Australian Army and the British Army, and um, and so I I went to Singapore too, and I lived there for a few years. And I was a consultant there at uh, Singapore General Hospital and uh, at Changi Base Hospital, and uh, and then you know there there are other adventures that I had too. So it was like UK and um, and of course uh, I'm 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 travelling the world and I'm starting to invent operations and um, and and going to conferences and get, you know getting that in- international profile within this small community of um, facial yeah. surgeons. So travelling everywhere, and it's been been wonderful for me. I, I just just loved it. I, I've loved it. Um, but coming back home, um, uh, you know, your, your next door neighbour doesn't want to know how great you are. They they just want to know how well you cook a a sausage on the barbecue. <laughs> you know, the, how how many beers you could drink, um, and or how many girlfriends you've had. And I go, well, I've had one. You know, and that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, so I've got five kids as well. Uh, that that's been a big adventure for me. And uh, my wife's Swiss, uh, Swiss, uh, German, Kiwi, Australian. Uh, well, she's not Australian, but um, but all our kids, um, you know, they, they they've got the Swiss passport and the, the Kiwi and the Australian. And and of course, because I managed to convince the Italian embassy I was Italian, I got them to become Italian too. And uh, so we, we're we're all very multicultural, and uh, 
and you know i we have a talent for languages it must be you know in the genetics yeah. uh my 11 year old the other day i said what are you doing she goes i'm learning japanese dad i said oh you're doing that for school she said no i said or oh, how are you learning japanese she said well i have to because otherwise how, how else do i get to read these manga comics and uh and so i said oh, well, you know literally do you, what three words four words and just fluent japanese comes back at me <laughs> you know so so uh, so the technology of duolingo and being able to sort of do online learning it's not just me the, the whole world's got it got access to it and 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 with kids so long as you tell them they can't do it uh, if you don't ever say that if they say why is the grass green you go you, you don't give an answer back to say well who cares you know you don't say that you say well fascinating question because it's the way light gets absorbed and is chlorophyll and taking this spectrum out and that spectrum out to convert it to carbohydrates and you know and but but you don't want to give them the answer either you want to say you know what let's let's figure out that answer together yeah. and and it's the same with learning a language it's the same with me learning surgery or yeah. you know you, you say hey paul you're in the navy or flying helicopters um you know it's just i just i was a yes guy i yeah. just i just said yes <laughs> <laughs> well interestingly um coming i've got a bachelor of education so that learning and facilitating learning i totally understand and that that's that um ability to show somebody how to learn about something is the, teach them to fish rather than give them the fish obviously right yeah totally, yeah that's valuable totally. resource but um I do think I know I speak to a lot of surgeons and I don't you guys go, ah, oh, just like but it is pretty hard to become who you are, I think. And the language thing, also from my bachelor education, there are different ways that minds work. And um I do know that education, especially in the area of med medicine, is there's a lot of memorizing and repeating that memorizing to right, certain right, barriers right. you know so you really do need that talent and there's also a quadrant in your brain or somewhere that some people does lend itself to learning new languages or math mm. or those sorts mm. of things so it sounds like you and your children no no I don't, I, don't, I don't cater to that idea no no you don't think true. so no 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 wow it's just amazing yeah i i, I believe you're, you're absolutely right there, there there's a quadrant a segment of the the community um, that you know, by, uh, notorious for rote learning and memorizing things, yeah. and you know, learning mnemonics and 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 learning your lines, as it were, just like an actor. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I can do that too. I can recite poetry, but for me to do that is literally bored out my brain for three hours, just learning line by line, and I can recite a poem. Yeah. And it's very impressive only for the people I'm learning it for, which is usually girls in a pub where I'm reciting poetry. <laughs> but if I'm thinking about surgery, then I'm thinking about surgery, that's a very hands-on thing. Yeah. And that's, that's like learning carpentry. Yeah. And you, know, you, you, you got to practice by, by carpentry. You know. I think there's an, um, I was speaking, when I'm speaking, say, to a plastic Interestingly, I just recorded another podcast last night. It's a coincidence that there's two in a row. But right. um, the thing about facial surgery, I suppose, or plastic surgery, and in your case, facial, there is, I suppose, everything. There's the artistic 
interpretation of mm. the ratio of face that you've got to deal with. Yeah. There's, the, there's the physics. Um, there's the actual physical work that needs to be done. I suppose, tell me about that passion around all those key areas that attracted you to facial surgeries. Well, first off, first off, uh, the, the, the fundamental fascination I always had was with mathematics and physics. Yeah. Yeah. The ability, I think, to look at your natural world and say, I can describe that with this language that's made up by humans called yeah. mathematics. And, and just simple things, a bit of algebra, a uh, bit of characters in an equation, you can figure out ev everything. You can describe everything. Um, and, 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 and you had to get over a certain mind leap an attitude at school, which is, well, maths is hard, maths is boring, you know. Yeah. But it is if all you're doing is maths for the sake of maths. But for me, it was like, no, no, I don't care. I don't care about the maths itself. I care about the fact that it helps me describe what's happening around me. You, know? you saw it as and, a vehicle and a tool, yeah. That's right. So you've got the pure math and then you've got the applied math. And the applied math is basically physics, you know. Yeah. And... And here, here, here are these people saying, "Paul, you, you know, you, you seem a bit switched on. Maybe, maybe that's the difference." And you know, you, we want you to learn dent dentistry. I didn't even know what dentistry was, <laughs> and uh, you know, the, my, my teeth are fine. You know, what, what the hell is a dentist? You know, how do they live their lives? I thought it'd be the most boring thing ever, but it was engineering. There was material science. There was physics. There was math. There was surgery. There was biology. There was clinical applications, I was talking to people, there was, there was a bit of money in it, you know, they paid you all right, mm. and I was still pretty young, so I was thinking, you know, if I don't like it, I can sort of, you know, jump ship. So I did it, and I learned all these amazing things, and I, I met all these amazing people, but, but it was a constrained field of application of the math, you know, teeth. Yeah. And then just outside of teeth, you had the mouth, and just outside of the mouth, you had bones and then pass out the face and then airways and then you got the rest of the body and so i thought well i'll just do medicine <laughs> and, and that was the second most amazing journey of my life it was just just really terrific but but the inquiry that 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 initial that initial fascination was just the fact that you could describe the the world around you uh, using this artifice of language called mathematics yeah. and um and, and I just really, really got into it. I don't really believe that kids are more intelligent than each other. I think, I think you need to have mentors. I think you need to be surrounded by a village. Yes. You know, people that are going to create you. Yeah. And I was born in Surrey Hills. <laughs> There's your I was born in Sydney, <laughs> Australia, on the edge of the Pacific Ocean in the middle of nowhere, you know, 20,000 kilometres away from you know, our origins, uh, we're, we're self-sufficient. Yeah. We managed to do it, and we're a collection of people who are self-sufficient. Right? So there's nothing unique about me, but there is something unique about Sydney. Yeah. yeah? Um, I, I only went to school in Sydney. Yeah, I only great. was born in Sydney. I only got surrounded by the village of Sydney. When we arrived in Sydney, I only had 10,000 people. We had a, a fellow who was governing the place called Macquarie. You know, yeah. We knew who he was. Yeah. You know, we forget that now because it's you know, 7 million people or something, 6, six million people. But um, uh, that, that's the magic. 
Yeah. Not me. I'm no. just a normal bloke. That you should say, and that's probably another whole other podcast on innovators from Australia for that, just for that reason, and where we're located and the the uniqueness uniqueness of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, Paul, I'm going to get to the part of the podcast uh, which I like to call the rapid fire questions, um, and just first things that come to your mind. What business decision did you make that if you had your time again, you would handle differently? I don't go backwards in time and make any regrets. <laughs> I really, I, I, I just don't have one. Oh. Um, uh, I should have put more money into superannuation. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll see how that plays out in the next Labor government. We'll see. That's, don't that's don't touch that. Bitcoin. I, you know, there's, there's just <laughs> maybe. I, but, but, you know, I, 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 I have no ven, ven, uh, vengeance. You know, people who have vengeance, I think, are just terrible people. People who look in the past and regret, yeah. I mean, that's just losing another opportunity. Yes. Which is looking ahead and hoping and and anticipating and and being excited for the future. You don't live in the past. No, Good. don't do that. Good. Um, next question: Who inspires you? Oh, Galileo. Ah, why? Yeah, Galileo. Yes, uh, I, I, I so relate to that man. I really do. I um, Galileo Galilei. He said something fantastic. He said, "Nessun profeta sin patria sua," which is uh, taken from Matthew, uh, which itself was taken, I think, by Pliny the Elder. No one is a prophet in their own land, and um, and uh, and and that certainly applied to his life. Um, in his time, his genius was just completely unrecognised. His energy, his passion, his inquiry of everything around him was just not shared by his, you know, fellow beings. And we can look back and say, how, why didn't they see his genius? Why didn't they see his passion? And um, and so I, I look at Galileo and I think, thank you for being alive, yeah. for having been alive, not for what you created, not for the invention of the pendulum clock, not for, not for the, you know, the application of the telescope, not for the discovery of Jupiter. Forget about all of that. Just the fact that you were alive and that you were such a happy man and that everyone's screaming at you saying you're an idiot for not thinking like them and you just smile back and go, well, you know, that's why it is. Che la vita. <laughs> che la vita. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you, you, you're quite right there and it is a very human trait that, no, when some, something special isn't amongst the normal every day, people can either be threatened by it or... Um, challenged by it or push it away because it's not right, but it's not till later on. And there's many, many examples of that genius in, in history. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 there, there are. They're, they're, they're everywhere. But yeah. that man, Galileo, <laughs> I just, I, yeah. if you ever read his dialogues, um, uh, dialogues on, on, on the two systems where he's sort of trying to make an argument uh, with Simplicio sort of saying that the, the sun revolved around the earth and then you've had, got the alternate argument, which is the earth revolves around the sun. <laughs> and, you know, you could see, you know, how, how he's just trying to settle the argument. 
you know, against the crowd that just fundamentally just doesn't believe him. Uh, wonderful 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 book but you have to read it in the original italian but (laughs) and paul finally words to wisdom words of wisdom to your younger self do everything (laughs) don't limit yourself correct i I, I agree don't ever lose self-confidence you know, or self-inquiry, or fascination, or energy. Yes. Just never say, never say no. Yes. Do everything, everything. <laughs> I hear you. I've got to say, I live by the same philosophy. I love it, and very wise words of wisdom. Mm. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate you making time for us and telling about tell us about your um journey and your amazing surgery i'm definitely the wiser now and i'm i'm going to be watching your journey with fascination that's for sure oh thank you thank you if you ever want me to come back and we can we can uh, talk on any topic you I, like i think there's things we have even if we don't know anything on. about it i know look i uh want to talk about italian food i think we haven't even touched that area yeah it's so true that. actually that's that that is just fascinating italian food i know we're off yeah. to Italy this year actually later off later mm. on later. you know the most fascinating thing about italian food what's that eating it all right incredible i think i just need to record you speaking italian <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, paul thank you so much thank you thank you so much so we'll put more information about paul and his practice in the episode notes and don't forget to follow the dr diaries podcast we've got so many more episodes coming up in 2023 thank you for listening to the dr diaries you can find out more about our amazing guests on our website hanyaroversby.com.au or join our Instagram page, Dr. Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.